0: You're listening to the Derms and Conditions Podcast.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Derms and Conditions. I'm your host for today, Gary Goldenberg, and I'm so excited to have um, our guest today and welcome um, Amy McMichael, who's a professor and chair at Wake Forest School of Medicine, chair of dermatology. And just as a way of background, I did my residency at Wake Forest. So Amy, I owe so much to you and I'm so excited to host you and to have this conversation, so welcome.
0: Well, oh, it's so wonderful to be here, Gary. And I thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, you know, I, I just planted the seeds and you ran with it and, you know, grew lots of trees, a forest of amazing accomplishments. So um, I'm glad to, to talk to you too.
1: Well, I appreciate that, and I, I tell everybody still that you you saved me in residency, so I'm forever <laughs> grateful. So, um, let's go ahead and start our conversation. So, you know, I, I think that people who know you professionally um, realize that you're really passionate about hair loss, and that's sort of been the sort of the main focus of your practice, or one of the main focus of your practice. And I and I'm sure we're going to touch on this on this topic, and I'm sure the listeners are going to want to hear what you have to say about this condition or uh, really conditions because there's a variety of, of patients that we see with this but what I thought we would do today is um what I really want to hear from you is I want to hear three things that you're really passionate about because I know that your energy is going to come through when you talk about those three things so let's just have a conversation I want to know what you're passionate about what you're into um, as a dermatologist, as a person, so let's start with that, and then we can we can discuss various other subjects if we if we get
0: there. Okay. Wow, that's um, you know a great question. It's hard question to answer because then you feel like you have to speak for like an hour, but I'm I'm going to do it briefly. So three things. The first thing, if I think about my dermatologic career and the things that I've tried to accomplish and want to continue to try to accomplish, it would be diversity in dermatology. Um, I've spent a lot of time uh, writing about diversity um, in dermatology, both from a patient point of view, so how we address um, patients of color and their disorders and um, how we're not addressing them appropriately, as well as training the next generation. You know, I have lots of students that contact me that I mentor and uh, residents that, you know, want to ask me about how I made my way in dermatology. So, uh, you know, between the, 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 you know, sort of academic things that I enjoy and then the personal things I enjoy, that is a thread that leads through all of everything that I do. You know, I'm part of the Skin of Color Society, part of the Derm section of the National Medical Association. I'm involved in the American Academy of Dermatology Diversity Task Force. I mean, so that is truly a calling, I will say.
1: Okay, so let's let's talk about this for a minute because I remember you speaking of this when I was in in residency at Wake, and I think it's a very important topic, not only for us as professionals, but also for our patients, as you said, from the patient perspective and also from our perspective. So let me ask you a simple question. What can we be doing better to improve the condition of our patients and also improve the condition of our specialty from, from the diversity perspective?
0: Oh, so many things. We have so many ways that we can do better. I think one of the things that we need to do is first look at who we're training. And I think that that process is starting. I think that, you know, in dermatology, we have the um, advantage that so many people wanna be in our specialty that we can just pick the cream of the crop. We can look at the numbers and say, okay, by the numbers, that is the person I want. You don't have to look at their face or what they've done or the distance that they've traveled in their life. You just pick them by the numbers and you're probably gonna end up with a reasonable person. But what we're realizing now is that we're very lopsided in our training. We're getting folks that are super book smart, maybe not so um, emotionally intelligent, And um, we're also not getting a diverse population, which is what it's gonna take to take care of the people in our country. So I'm certainly not knocking our current dermatologists because I think our dermatology folks in this country are amazing. And I don't wanna take anything away from their accomplishments, but I do think that we can do a lot better by looking at a a more holistic way of, of thinking about our specialty. And as a matter of fact, the boards are going away. The numbers are going away. So you're not going to be able to use the boards as a way to discern who you want in your specialty. So you're going to have to do a more holistic look at the folks that we accept. And I think that's going to be a wonderful thing for our specialty. We've always done it as a department. And I think a lot of other departments are recognizing that they're um, short, you know, cutting their patients by not training people of color who can then go back into the communities of color and take care of those patients. And and as a matter of fact, I think all of our residents, no matter where their background, you know, is from, what ethnicity they are, what racial category they most identify with, everybody needs to know how to take care of all kinds of skin, you know, and, and that's what we strive to do down here at Wake. And I think you got a really balanced look. You know, we see everybody. We, you know, we don't have a, a, a real preponderance of one skin type or another. So I think that we need to do better about taking the people holistically. And then once we get them in, training them around all of the skin types and conditions that you can see in our specialty.
1: So I think that's a great, it's a, those are great points. I, I certainly agree 100% that it's not only the IQ, but also the EQ that are important. And I think we both have had experiences where somebody looks great on paper and then you meet them and you're like, oh my God, this, I cannot work with this person. It's just not possible because they're just, you know, they can't identify with other people and they can't relate to people. So I think that is a very important uh, way, especially for, for doctors, because we are in a people business. It's really a people business. And I think your point um, about balanced education is also very valid. I mean, I feel like I got a great experience at Wake and was able to translate that to various places where I practice, including Colorado, Baltimore, and now New York City. So I think that's it's obviously very important. So that's a great topic. And Amy, thank you for bringing it out. I think it's very important for our listeners to think of it with what they're doing on a daily basis as a professional and also as a uh, somebody who treats patients. Okay, what else? Let's, uh, let's move on to something else that you're passionate about.
0: Um, I think I'm passionate about... Um people finding their thing and becoming leaders in that thing. So, you know, we have um, people like you, for instance, I'm so proud of the things that you've done. You know, you took what you. you learned in residency and you've made quite a career out of being an expert in so many different ways. And you know that's what I think I strive to do is to teach leadership as well as the medical side of things. Um, you know, When I talk to uh, my mentees or talk to my residents, it's not about you got to fit into what we have here in our little residency. It's about what are you good at? That's what we're going to mentor you for. You may come in thinking, oh, I'm going to be head of a department and then decide private practice is your life. Well, that's great. Then we want to make you the best private practice person that you can be. And we have had so many folks that have come through and just surprised us. You know, we had somebody who went and got, you know this person very well, went and got a Fulbright scholarship. I didn't even know you could get a Fulbright scholarship at that time, you know, after residency. And that's the kind of stuff that makes you as a academic dermatologist just sing on your way home. You know, you're like, wow, you know, this person, took what we you know taught them and went to the next level and so you know however that's done that really excites me you know to see somebody really hitting their professional stride and become a leader in their city or their state, you know, becoming a head of a a national organization or or a, you know, local organization, I think that's really where dermatology needs to focus because the more people we have in leadership positions, the better we're heard in the larger house of medicine. So I really like to push that.
1: So I, I guess what I would gather is that you're talking about mentorship and developing people that you're training, or people that work with you, and I, I know that you're you're a great mentor. You still are to so many people who are no longer your residents just by by being an ex, being an example to people. I think that's really important. But let me ask you specifically: What three things would you recommend for somebody who wants to be a mentor? What three skills do that does that person need to develop? To be a mentor, or to be able to to be a mentor in their
0: career. Hmm. Well, I think I think you should get mentorship training. You know, it, it used to be like you just kind of form these informal mentorships and you find somebody and you talk to them and you you know you set aside time to do that. And and that's fine. That's fine. That's okay. But I think now um, every institution, um, lots of organizations, for instance, the Amer- American Academy of Dermatology has a mentorship training process. Um, a lot of local organizations like Durham organizations, you know, state organizations have them. Uh, the um, AMC has them. I think you should actually get focused mentorship training because I think you do better when you know what a mentor is supposed to be and you don't just flub it and try to figure out, oh, maybe I should have talked to this person about that. It's like, oh, well, that's already in my head so again if you get leadership training that mentorship training is sort of embedded in that and i think you also have to understand the difference between mentorship and sponsorship so you know i mentor a lot of people you know i talk to them maybe once or twice maybe three times a year but the people that i sponsor those are the people that i take to the next level i say okay you need to work on this paper with me you need to do this study you need to talk to this person and that person so you can get in there for a week long or several week long rotation while you're a resident, so that you'll be better off when you come out and want to do cosmetics. I mean, so there is that sponsorship that you need to step up and do to certain people that you recognize, you know, need it and that you recognize are going to use it to the fullest ability. You know, I'm in a lot of people, and what goes in, you don't know, you know, if they really listen or you know, you don't, but. <laughs> sure you're <laughs> like, okay, I thought I told you that last time, but you know, there, there are other people that are like sucking it up and they're like, okay, what else you got? You know, and those are the people that I sponsor. So you have to recognize when it's time to stop the mentorship process and, and move into sponsorship. And I would say the last thing would be to just reflect on the kind of job you're doing and ask that person to reflect back to you what they've gotten out of the relationship. Because if you're just, you know, kind of, jib jabbing, you know, talking and they don't feel like they're getting anything out of it. And they're not going to tell you that exactly, but they'll, you know, they can tell you in a way that is maybe not so mean that, well, you know, I wish we had covered more on career building or covered more on how to do finances or personal finances or, you know, and, and so you can see where you're missing the mark and you can do better.
1: So I love two things you just said. I mean, I love everything you said, but there are two that I just want to point out. One is taking it to the next level, which I know you personally, that's that's Amy McMichael that I know. You just wanna <laughs> raise the bar and take it to the next level. So I love that conversation. And the, you know, it's a relationship. I think that it's important to recognize that a mentor mentee relationship is really a give and take. So I think, you know, having been gone through the mentorship program through the academy as a mentee and also as a mentor, I think that you learn from being both you learn this be from being a mentee, but also you learn how to be a better mentor by mentoring people. So I think that's great. But I want to talk about something else that I learned from you, that you may not have even realized that you were teaching us when we were in training together. And it's that you mentor patients also. And um. I think that you don't realize you maybe not even realize it. I think all of us do it every day. But I know that you were great at coaching patients up to do the right thing. So I want to just ask you to think about that and just talk about that for a second.
0: That's funny. You should say that, you know, it's not something that I think a lot about, Um, but you know, my residents tell me, and I think it's because they, you know, get to see the breadth of, of, of people in the residency, so they can kind of com- contrast and compare, and and also students. You know, they come from other rotations, and you know, I think dermatologists. You know, we we can read the room very quickly, and that's not something that they see in other specialties. I think, and um and so when they come and work with us, they're like, wow, how do you know that that was what that patient needed to hear. So I think it it is part of reading the room, you know, and I think it is part of that emotional intelligence. You come in and the patient is, you know, got their head down, they're, you know, looking like they're death warmed over and, but they're really here for acne or like, uh-oh, something else is going on. What's going on? What do we need to look at that you're not showing me or you're not telling me about? And so I think reading the room is so important, but also just getting that camaraderie going right away, because the more comfortable they feel, the more they'll tell you And the more you'll be able to help them because if they don't tell you everything they're doing then you can't fix it you know if they're putting cocoa butter all over their face and you're trying to do something with acne you know and they don't tell you you don't know right so and that's a very mild example but i think that there are people who um you know they just need to have a little bit of encouragement you know that everybody else in the family is telling them to do this don't go there talk to a different doctor, go to the endocrinologist, they are going to help you. And if I'm there and I'm talking to them and I'm saying, hey, listen, we're going to work through this. This is something I've seen. And this is what patients in my practice have done. And I think you can do it. It's just enough, you know, it's just what they need to take home with them that day. And it lasts maybe until the next visit. And then I got to do it all over again. But I found that if you um, support people and you make them know that you you're confident in their ability to follow the directions, you make them talk back to you about what you just said and, and make sure they understand. They do infinitely better. And and, and you know what's funny is I had a, a patient who came in and had um Pteriasis rubapilaris. And you know how freaked out people are when they get that, you know, total body redness and scale, you know, they're dropping scales all over their house, you know, and it's so, it happens so suddenly. So people think they're dying. And so this gentleman's older gentleman came to me with his wife and, you know, I'm saying what I always say, I don't really think about it. And, and he was like starting to freak out and I just looked at him and I said, you know what, you're going to be okay. And I didn't even think about it. And at the end of the whole thing, which you know took a year and a half to get cleared up, they were going to go back to their small town dermatologist because they were better, and you know it was a long distance to drive. So um, his wife and he said, you know, we want to just tell you something about that first visit that we had with you, where you looked at us and you told us that he was going to be okay. And that's what we stood on for the rest of the time that we were working with you. And I didn't even realize I'd said that, to be honest, I had forgotten I said it. But that's that's what keeps you going, right? As a doctor, they, people give you that kind of feedback. So I think that if you wanna have a really invigorating career that's rewarding, then you need to do that because you feed that patient and they feed you.
1: Amy, I think your story is so powerful. And just to tie it back to what we've talked about so far, one, I think so much of dermatology is psychology, and I think maybe for us, it's more than other specialties. Certainly it's more for us than some of my friends that are surgeons, because a lot of that, you know, is relatability to patients, relating to patients and having you mentor them into that better, you know, state or state of well-being. And I think it, we can tie this back to your um, diversity comment, the first thing that we talked about, because... Having diversity in the, in the patients that we treat will certainly allow us to relate to, to all sorts of different people, not just somebody that we personally identify with. So I think that's super, super important. So I think that that ties back to that. And certainly the mentorship, You know, uh, you know, we're probably doing it every day with patients and not even realizing. So I think just pausing and becoming aware of it and thinking about how powerful the words that we choose when we see patients are, I think is very important. It's a great conversation so far. I love it. Let's let's talk about <laughs> your next your next passion. So let's 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 move on to our next topic.
0: Well, you know, hair. I can't I can't have this conversation without getting into a, a little discussion about hair, right?
1: <laughs> for sure. I was waiting H- for hair it. Hair is
0: hair is. Yeah, <laughs> you're bracing yourself for it. No, I mean, I think um, you know it's funny because during my training i never felt really that you know oh i this is what i have to do um but when i got to wake forest and joe urita was chair you know is one of my mentors still is um he says you know what do you want to do what is you, what do you want your specialty to, to, to be and and what i recognized was that was a niche that nobody was really addressing you know well, there were people good people in here doing hair research you know vera price and Elise Olson, olsen and they were doing the best that they could you know trying to you know run against the grain But people weren't addressing, especially hair disorders and people of color. And scarring hair loss was getting us, you know, the short end of the stick and nobody was really doing research in that. And I thought, gosh, you know, we need to do something in hair. And so I just said off the you know, off the cuff, okay, hair, hair is what I want to do. And he's like, Oh, great, hair and nails. And I was like, No, 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 no nails. Just the hair, I'm not doing the nails. and um, and that was good for me because I don't I still don't do a whole lot of nail stuff. but um yeah, I try to learn and I try to be better, but I'm not a good nail person. but uh, yeah, so you know hair is really where it's at for me and I think that we have made some great strides. you know, look at what's happening in A now I'm not sure I had a ton of done to do with you know the breakthroughs that we're having with jack inhibitors and that sort of thing. but if we hadn't had a group of people, who wanted to be focused and like start, you know, programmatic ways of looking at, at hair loss, alopecia areata being one of them. I don't think people would have been able to make those discoveries totally because, you know, they, ref- they depend on us to refer them patients and, you know, whatever. So I, I think that the programmatic approach to hair over the last 25 years of my career has been really rewarding. And I have to say that that's like a height for me is seeing all that coming about, you know, doing the work that we did with genetic research for, for central centrifugal cicatricial alopecia. That was really cool. You know, so I just like to take it, like you said, I like to take it to the next level. You know, I'm here at, you know, level seven and I'm like, how can I get to eight, and nine? I know I'm not going to get to 10, but I think I could get to eight, you know?
1: <laughs> well, usually we turn it up to 11. So I'm <laughs> expecting you to get to 11, Amy.
0: That's a tall order, but I'll try it.
1: <laughs> well, I think that's, I, I think it's so interesting that, um, you know, that hair is such a focus for you because I remember my first clinic in residency was with you and it was a hair loss clinic. And I was completely clueless having just come off my internship and doing uh Mickey or CCU rotation <laughs> where people were dying. And, you know, I think we have to realize that hair is such an important part of our, um, our well-being and our psyche as a society and how important it is to the psychological well-being of our patients. And now it's 30% of my practice in New York City. It's a huge part of my practice, hair losses. And I, I think, you know, I owe all of that learning to you. And I think it's important again, speaking about diversity of training, that we do have an opportunity to touch every single subject that dermatology covers. So I think we in the pat in the last few minutes. What I'd like to do is maybe ask you to give our listeners some quick practical tips about seeing patients with hair loss. So as many as you can mm. spare us, just some practical tips that our our listeners can take back to their to their office when they're seeing their patients with hair loss.
0: Sure, sure. I think one of the things that we should do more of is use our dermatoscope. You know, when you're looking at the scalp, you know, we are all trained to do that with moles and, you know, these are atypical looking lesions and that's great. But the scalp, I mean, it'll, it'll save you biopsies to actually start to get really uh, sort of good at seeing what you're seeing in the scalp. It'll tell you scar versus not scar. It'll tell you maybe a mixture of scarring in uh, non-scarring alopecia. So use that. Um, I think the dem- dermatoscope is is probably going to be your friend. Um, the other thing I would say is to really listen to the patient and get their, hair care practice history, especially in African-American patients, because it can be very complicated. You know, they're using relaxers at one point in their life and perhaps they're not using them any longer, they're doing natural, but they're still doing a lot of heat, you know, on top of the natural. So I think really listening and getting that history and understanding the issue, you might have to do some reading to figure out what they're talking about. You know, what's a hair weave? What's a, you know, what is a, a you know, uh, you know, specific style that they're talking about. You know, what is this kind of twist? And and so you start to understand that, and I think you'll be able to help your patients a lot more. Um, I, I think another pearl that you know I talk to my residents about is if you're going to do uh, biopsies, get two. I know there are people that talk about, oh, you only need one. You can bisect it, blah blah blah. Listen, just give your dermatopathologist two totally and let them cut. Hundred percent more tissue is right, better. Right. <laughs> right. You're in there. Just get it. It's a pain in the neck. I know, but just get it. And, um, and I think the other thing, I guess one of the last things would be is to, to, uh, not be afraid to call on your friendly neighborhood hair care, you know, hair disorders, professional person, person who really loves it and get our ideas. People send me cases all the time. And so if you are, you know, stuck and you don't know where to go next, call one of us. You know, there are lots of us around. We'll be happy to help you.
1: Amy, I feel like we could continue this conversation for another two, three hours and still not get to the <laughs> to all the tips and pearls that you could give our our listeners. But unfortunately, I think we are out of time. So I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for, for being here and for everything you do for our specialty and for our patients. You're just a wonderful, wonderful person and such an amazing and inspirational resource. So Thank you, Amy, for being here. And um, I hope to see you in person soon.
0: It's been my pleasure, Gary. Thank you. You know, anything you ask, I'll do. So, and I'm looking forward to seeing you soon too.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you visit Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Derms and Conditions and follow and subscribe to the show.